Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by another special guest who's no stranger to the Jew 3 Project, Dr. Eric Mason. Welcome, Dr. Mason. How you doing, sister? Sister, how you doing? Glad to be on here. Always an honor to be with you. Thank you for all you're doing. Yeah. Glad to glad to have you. Uh, before we get started, uh, for those who may not know who you are, just give our audience just a little bit about uh, your background. Eric Mason, I'm married for almost 24 years, have four living children, pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship and uh, president of Enoch, which is an urban church planning network, urban uh, church um, relationship, relational network. Um, also um, the president of Thriving, a uh, Urban Leadership Development and Investment Organization, and author of five books. Yes, and we're going to be talking about uh, one of your books today, um, Urban Apologetics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> restoring Black Identity with the Gospel. What what kind of motivated mm -hmm. you uh, to, to put this work together? I know you know the answer to that question. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but for the audience, um, well, you know, when I was in college in the early 90s, I went to college in 1991. I mean, it was, I wasn't a Christian at that time. I became a Christian in the fall of my sophomore year, which was November of 1992. And what what ended up happening was we, I mean, it was hard to be a Christian back then because you had so many different uh, ideologies and groups back then. Uh, that's, that's back when the uh, five percenters were in their heyday. They're they are a shadow of what they were in the past. But I mean, back then, hip hop was ferocious against Christianity, about it being a white man's religion, about the white Jesus, about Jesus never existed. I mean, it, it there was there was Pan-African kind of deal, but it was very eclectic and not as um, not as defined as it is now. Everybody kind of learned from the same group of books back then. Mm -hmm. Just as long as you, just as long as you kind of, it's very different now than it was back then. But you know, but but basically, um, everybody learned from the same books. They they agreed that the, everybody agreed that the white man was the devil. Um, everybody agreed that um, that black people, um, that black people are the original man, and out of different conscious community language. Of course, we call it they call it woke now, but um, conscious community language. And so it, it has been quite the, uh, quite the journey. And so over the years, like Dr. Carl Ellis, Heyman Cross, uh, um, the brother that wrote, uh, Blacks in the Bible, not just McKissick, McKissick as well, Dr. Evans, 
and uh, Keener and uh, Ushman, I, th- I can't remember his na- last name, did a book, did a couple of books on uh, some items. Uh, we felt like, though, that there wasn't, with all of those resources out there, uh, you know, there wasn't really a one-stop shop. I think it was a smaller book did in the last few years that was really more de- de- more testimonial interviews. I know uh, my brother, Chris, Br- uh, I'm about to call him Chris Brown, Chris Brooks. <laughs> Chris mm-hmm. Brooks did a book on urban apologetics. Um, excellent book. And we're, su- we're supportive of each other, very, very supportive of each other. And but, However, I wanted to work with some experts. I didn't want to write, I, w- I thought about writing the whole thing myself, but ended up, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to get some people that are in these areas mm-hmm. and get them in. And I particularly wanted women speaking into it um, mm-hmm. because I, I feel like the growth in Black women being engaged by the different ideologies is it used to be just the men and the women kind of followed in it, like the gods and earths and the women in the conscious community who would kind of wrap their hair and wear uh, blue Nile. Y'all don't know nothing about that, you know, uh, <laughs> oil, you know, uh, and, and and do and have incense. But now uh, women are leading voices. And in, in, uh, I mean, you, you, you have all kinds of people now. You have Nation of Islam. Female uh, females in the nation of Islam that are leading voices. Females in the conscious community, like Dr. Mayat, and different ones that are really, really in the forefront of leading the conversation in those areas. And so, for us, we wanted to we wanted to be able to do a one stop shop resource that kind of gave you an introduction to it. Because really, in the black community, if you went to a historically black college, if you're in an urban area. Um, and if you're, if you've gone to higher education, you are going to have your faith attack. And so this is, this has come back since, you know, the twenties and then again in the fifties through sixties and seventies, then from there, late eighties, early nineties. And now it's re rearing its head over the last 10 years. And because of the internet, it's not going anywhere. So that's in a nutshell, why we, why we wanted to write this resource so that they can be kind of like a lasting imprint of. Uh, voices who are speaking into this and giving people kind of an introduction to what's going on. Yeah. And it's, it's very needed, especially in a time where most people are getting their scholarship from YouTube videos and uh, memes. And absolutely consistent problem. uh, When you ask people where they got their research from, uh, right. They tell you, they give you a link to an article. That's a, that's, that can't be traced. um, Right. Right. And a YouTube clip. Uh, which is why having a resource so pastors are trying to respond, but it's like I can't respond to a, a YouTube clip or right, like, right. Where and ha- I'm, I know you've seen that uh, over the the years, um, constantly being thrown to a YouTube or a book that yeah. that has no real scholarship to it. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen that a lot, and I think that. You know, some people say, why would you, you know, do a book or whatever? And I said, you know, because we need people that are connecting to original sources. So we kind of had several categories of people that we were looking for uh, to minister to. Um, We wanted, um, of course, people who are involved in uh, just sharing their faith and outreach Mm -hmm. and mission and apologetics. That's number one. People who want a resource and they said, listen, I want to I want to I want to share my faith well and be able to give a reason for the hope that is within me. Um, but then also pastors who are getting, I mean, I can't tell you how many, how much, how many pastors and church leaders, uh, men and women who are just reaching out, trying to get 
uh, off the hip answers from people who have mega churches to people who have small churches. Um, Therefore, believers who are wrestling through their faith, we know that Gen Z is the truth generation, where their seekers are truth. Uh, we know that millennials are challenges of truth, and because we wanted to target them as well, but also those who grew up in the church, but the faith isn't theirs yet. So stabilizing people who are either grew up in the church or believers already, and then calling out and bringing back people who have uh, who have fallen away from the faith and also to our siblings in other communities who aren't African-American or of the African diaspora, who really have the fact that our people ask different questions than their community does. You know, my uh, my community isn't, you know, talking about the Jesus seminar, you know, new mm -hmm. thoughts on Paul. That's really not, like, I, I've never had anybody in my community ask me those questions. Um, but they do ask me, you know, is Jesus a historical person? It's the different things that they ask, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when we talk about uh, the subtitle, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel, what, what does that mean? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And so all dignity is, you know, our dignity didn't start at justification, it started at creation. Mm -hmm. And so in light of it not starting at justification and it's starting at creation, everybody's dignity is rooted in the fact that God created them in his image, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, right? Mm -hmm. And um, however, the fall, of course, defaced it, but didn't erase it. So there's still, hum there's still human dignity in all people, even if you're not, a, not in relationship with God. Jesus comes back to restore that dignity through his death and resurrection through those who believe in him. That's why he is the image of the invisible God. He's the ultimate image. And that's why Romans 8 says we are, uh, come being conformed to the uh, uh, to 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 the uh, uh, um, imago Christi, you know, the image of Christ, if you will. And so, in light of in light of that re reality uh, of, of that, because of the four hundred years and a global pandemic against dignity destruction of black people, whether you're talking about forms of genocide, whether you're talking about betrayal, whether you're talking about uh, slavery, whether you're talking about the Middle Passage, whether you're talking about cartoons that made blackface uh in the 1930s and 40s whether you whether you're talking about mass incarceration whether you're talking about school to prison pipeline whether you're talking about redlining whether you're talking about the maligning of black women and uh you know and and objectification of black women in particular and misogynizing black women in particular all of those different things have have we we've been branded less than human i mean we were three-fifths of a man so the the western hemisphere has worked pretty hard to destroy the dignity of black people and in light of that e even though all people need dignity restoration i believe that black people in america are in a massive de deficit of dignity restoration and mm -hmm. so because of that i believe only the gospel of jesus christ restores dignity um, because it was able to be conformed to the image of Christ and he's the image of the invisible God, the best way to find your dignity, both spiritual, and that's not just spiritual dignity, it's it's also your natural dignity, right? Because we're not, our, our dignity is not just in our spirits. Our, our dignity is the whole person, the soul and the body. Um, that's why when, when Jesus comes back, we'll get a new soul and new body. If God didn't value our bodies, he wouldn't give us a new body. So, um, <laughs> you know, and so, and so, and, 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 and so we, we, God's desire was that we would be immaterial and in, in material 
both valued by him. If you know God valued man so man and woman so much that we're the only part of his creation that he formed with his own hands. Everything else he spoke into existence. And so mm -hmm. and so for and so I can go on and on about a theology of the sarcos or uh, the soma, you know, the body, right? Um, and mm -hmm. some people will go to the theology of the nefesh, you know, of the spirit or, or the suke or the puma, mm -hmm. you know. And so, so in the God's desire was always that heaven, the natural world, and the spiritual world uh, would connect. So that's why Adam and Eve uh, met with God in the first temple, which was Eden in the east of the Garden of Eden. So um, it, 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 that's why God met there. And that's why it wasn't strange for the spirit being Shatan uh, uh, to, to come there. And even though he wasn't, I don't believe he was fallen at that time. That's a whole other discussion. But um, he fell with them. That's why the judgment is his judgment and their judgment at the same time. But heaven and earth uh, came away from each other. And that's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden so they can remain savable. But all the way through history, God is meeting meeting places. That's why the tabernacle is a reflection of, of, of what's in heaven. And, the, and God came down in a Shekinah, met heaven and earth. I can keep going. Jesus Christ ultimately is the merging of heaven and earth again fully uh, perfect perfect humanity perfect eternal deity brought into one person and jesus christ is ultimately moving creation towards recreation of everything i'm doing a series in a few weeks called recreation um and 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 when and in, and in chapter 21 of revelation it god's ultimate goal ultimately happened in christ well god's value of the natural world god's value of the spiritual world become one world that's what he's always been trying to do. So how does that apply to human dignity? It that's that's the root of our human dignity is God wanting no world to be separate from one another, but he want the beauty and righteousness of his of his immaterial heavenly world to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I think that's that's so helpful that people know they have worth and dignity and the God affirms their identity. Um, I was talking to a student at uh, FAMU and he was telling me he thought that his skin color was the product of, a, of the fall because he had mm. only taken pictures of Adam and Eve being white. So wow. Said, and I was like, wow, that's deep. And so for him, he's thinking that wow. he has no, that his, his skin is sinful just because of pictures of Bible characters as white. And it, it struck me at that moment because I never, I knew images of white Jesus were having a massive mm -hmm. effect on people, but to hear him like really like almost in tears, thinking that his dignity wow. isn't affirmed because of he's seen wow. Bible characters, it just really you know makes me think about the psychological impact that that white evangelicals don't understand that they're their images have on, on human dignity. So I think it's important uh, work that you you talk about restoring black dignity with, with the gospel. Yeah, that's part. I think, I don't think we really understand the impact of iconography. I really don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is anything you would like to speak to as it relates to iconography and your own? How yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a helpful question. Yeah, iconography, if you look it up, it's 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 a very powerful because me most people look at it as art, but it's iconography, which and I talked about a little bit in my son, last Sunday's message when I talked about um 
overcoming a stronghold of racism. We're in a stronghold series right now. And um, iconography is really to give you an image of the character and tell you the story of a person or an icon or a symbol uh, through art or through sculptures. And iconography, if you look in most of the Western world, I know people will give examples and give the outliers, but for the most part, the church's iconography is saturated with European images, which really is a way of doing uh, image genocide. Um, mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a level of image genocide that has impacted how, like even the churches in most inner cities in North America, the reason why um, a lot of them, a lot of them uh, uh, um, have white Jesuses and white pictures in them is because when in the 50s, when churches were leaving and, and in other uh, decades, when churches were leaving inner cities, white churches, they were selling their buildings to African-American churches and African, um, African-Americans and, and, and leaders. And so they weren't able to change those images, if you will. I mean, um, one church in particular, that's one of the first black churches in America, I won't name it because I want to honor its legacy, but they have, I mean, but it, they have a white Jesus like on their iconography, all of their figures are, uh, are, are except for their inserted art, all of, all of the iconography is white. And so mm -hmm. again, that, that, that deeply impacts that. And, you know, you have people like Umar Johnson saying stuff like, um, the, the, the uh, white Jesus has done more damage to the black community than any other thing has. And man, you really can't really disagree with that on, 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 a, on a lot of levels because people pointing to, I mean, you, I mean, how many times, I mean, Lisa, I bet you, you can't even figure out on like count how many times you've heard from somebody that Christianity is the white man's religion across socioeconomic lines in the black community. It's like, mm -hmm. like a byword. And it's really interesting that in the last year, white Christians have just discovered that this has been a sentiment and a missiological roadblock to mm -hmm. our ability to share the gospel of Jesus. We have to first get over the intellectual and emotional barriers. So intellectual barriers, intellectual barriers is bad information. Uh, 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 um, emotional barriers, it's bad experiences, right? Um, but, uh, uh, um, but whether perceived or real, when 2 Corinthians 4 talks about the fact that the God of this world blinds the mind, so we don't wreck it, blinds the mind so people won't see the gospel. So the challenge um, in Western Christianity is there has to be an admission that, that it's played a role in blinding black people to the gospel. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And so important and why this book is so so necessary for our community when you think about the role of apologetics in uh pastoral work um mm. do you think people are starting to know the importance because i remember some years back um when i was still in seminary uh one of my friends came to me because her friend started dating a guy that had gotten um swept up in hebrew israelism and he mm -hmm. they were faithful members at their church and then he got plugged in to one of the Hebrew Israelites group in Richmond, Virginia, and mm -hmm. started absorbing their stuff. And so he took the questions he had for his pastor from the group and his pastor was like, um, let me get back to you. And so I don't know if he didn't know the answers or he just didn't have time, but he ended up going into Hebrew Israelism because he felt like his pastor didn't have enough answers or didn't give him yeah. any answers. So he was like, well, if you can't give me any answers, this group has answers. Um, mm. do, you, do you think pastors are starting to see the need to, to 
to take that apologetic um, um, approach in the, in their preaching or just even understanding why it's important? Yeah, it's it's happened. It's by the thousands. Um, there are several churches in America that have had mass conversions um, to Hebrew Israelism. Now, let me say this because I want to be fair to Hebrew Israelites. Um, all of them aren't the same. You have the camps and then you have what some would have called the moderates, the messianics. And so, I, you know, in a way, I don't I don't necessarily argue with them about the whole ethnic thing unless they I really spend more time in because anybody can say they ethnically whatever they want to. I don't really have a problem with that. Um, but usually nine times out of 10, though, with Hebrew Israelites, it always leads to theological deception. Um, uh, I haven't met, I've only met maybe one or two Hebrew Israelites that, that still hold to Orthodox biblical truth, historic biblical truth, but believe they're Israel. Maybe I'll say one, to be honest. Um, but to answer your question, uh, you know, I can't tell you, it's hundreds of pastors. I've had so many white pastors too, white pastors too that are basically trying to figure this thing out. And it has become, I mean, I would say out of all of the, I call them bricks in the book, black religious ideologically ideology cults um, mm -hmm. or communities, um, I call them bricks. <laughs> so B-R-I-C apostrophe S, cause I get tired of saying that whole thing out. So, uh, um, <laughs> but um, I can't, I, I mean, at least I can't tell you how I mean, it it is it is it is so pervasive, and I would say the Hebrew Israelite movement is the fastest growing brick movement um, in the world. It's in Africa now. I have people hit me from Zambia, South Africa. Uh, it's 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 uh, 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 the the UK, and the and the in the in the east. This is their this is their simple slide in that they have above. You know, whether you're talking about comedic folk, whether you're talking about gods and earths. See, if you look at Nation of Islam, their cosmology is horrible. Like, I mean, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saying that respectively. Mm -hmm. Like, their cosmology of the way the world came together is just mythological. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. um, com comedic's the same way. It's more mystical according to who you talk to because they comedic science people and they comedic philosophy people. So those are two different groups of people, even though they have some overlap. But mm -hmm. with the difference with Hebrew Israelites is they don't make you leave the Bible. You see, so they, they automatically got common ground with you because that's why Farrakhan, when he comes in Christian context, cannot use Nation of Islam language. He knows that he has to use Christian language, but put it in allegory and metaphor of not of, of, for what he really means by it, but using it in a way that doesn't seem offensive to you because he knows that and this, uh, Elijah Muhammad always knew this. The best way that everybody does evangelism in the church. That's that's they don't realize that. <laughs> Everybody is evangelizing Christians. And, and 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 when you look, I mean everybody, they they go after they love going after Christians. I I, I won't say the pastor's name, but there was a group in, in one of the largest black cities in America. And and it was this group, I forgot which group they were called, but um that uh, and they were out there talking to these young ladies. Uh, beautiful young ladies and you know they were kind of flirting with them, but they were also teaching them if you will. And he gave her like 10 scriptures. He said to her, he said, have you, he said, what church you go to? And he said, the church, I'm like, oh God. And um, he said, on a Sunday, on a Sunday, he said, you go every Sunday? Yeah. She said, he said, I have, I given you more scriptures in our standing here than your pastor does in an hour on Sunday. 
She said, absolutely. Wow. So, so, I mean, even though the amount of scriptures you give doesn't matter if you're not explaining them right. But, mm -hmm. the, but the issue is that type of straw man energy is what people are getting given. And so pastors really have to return to incarnational ministry. You got to understand what's going on in your community. You have to be in touch with your young adults. You have to, yeah, listen, if you're not watching the breakfast club, you, you, as a pastor, let me just tell you something. If you're not watching the breakfast club, you don't know what's going on with your people. You understand what I'm saying? You're not watching hot 97. You, you, you gotta watch hot 97. Um, you gotta, you gotta be following some of your young adults on Instagram. I said, look, bro, I said, you gotta, you gotta, I said, why are you not on social media, man? I'm not gonna, da, da. I said, man, it's impossible to pastor people now practically without knowing what they're posting and what they like. And mm -hmm. I mean, you have to know what's pastoring your people so that you can pastor your people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So true. Yeah. And that's 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 so big. And I love how you mentioned the they asked her, like, how many scriptures did did, <laughs> did your pastor use on Sunday? Because I often tell people, people study how you preach. So if you mm -hmm. topically, they're going to go home and go over the topic, but they never get to the necessarily understanding how to navigate the text. And so... Right. You have to like almost do, I know not limited to expository preaching, but almost make that a part of your preaching diet because you'll be like that, that quote from um, Bill Lang, I like from his Hebrews book that we claim to be people of the book, but in actual practice, we're only people basically of our favorite passages that we keep uh, over and over again. And so yes, <laughs> I think that's where most Christians are. They just don't know, like, it's 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 hurtful to me to meet people that have been Christians for 20 years that don't know how to study the Bible. To be in their 40s and 50s and don't know like how to use commentary um, and and concordance and cross reference. Um, and and so it's a, the 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 very the most important thing is how to understand the Bible. Um, because that's so where so many people are, which speaks to what you were saying, like not the pastor's not preaching through the text. Um, which yeah. I mean, you've been consistent as long as I've been following your ministry as of going through the text line by line, which I think helps people be more more disciplined even in, and know how to study. Mm, praise God, praise God. So mm -hmm. um, Let's uh, get to to the the next question, which people love to to understand. Uh, know uh, how to engage Hebrew Israelites. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, because it's they're they're an interesting group to engage. I remember when we were at Southern for our HBCU HBCU uh, tour stop, and a, a, a two Hebrew Israelites drove from South Carolina to Louisiana to just to to cause havoc at the at the event and mm -hmm. one was more uh problematic than the other but when the other one got mad i think it was something that dr bantu said that he couldn't respond to so he got he kind of walked out the other one stayed and he got really emotional and he went from like really hostile to really emotional and he was like tell me why um people like me are getting gunned down in the street. And he almost had tears in his eyes. It was like during mm -hmm. the Q&A, the whole crowd. And that mm -hmm. was the first time I was like, okay, this is not this, that like it became, I saw them in a different light. Um, yeah. Before because I was so used to them being hostile. 
And then it's just like, man, these are 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 guys and 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 women that are really deeply trying to wrestle in some cases with the problem of evil and why mm-hmm. um they're they're seeing so much violence to people that look like them. So yeah. how, how do you engage Hebrew Israelites and, and get, advise others to engage with them as well? Yeah, so one of the things that I highly recommend is is it's not helpful necessarily to if we're talking about the camp Israelites in particular to work with them when they're in their pack. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, I mean, it can be helpful, but not necessarily the best way. I think it's one on and it's group environments where we're not trying to put something on YouTube or something. It's more effective. That's why I found it's more effective. Another thing is know the fundamentals of the faith. The average Christian has to, this is the challenge. And this is where our disciple making comes in, Lisa, um, is, is we really have to make, you know, we got to develop the fundamentals. You know, Michael Jordan said one time, uh, he said, he said, man, if you if you master the fundamentals, y- you will you will beat out most of the people in the NBA because most people don't master the fundamentals. And, you know, Hebrews chapter six talks about uh, actually chapter five, talking about them having to learn the fundamentals again uh, so that they can be able to teach others. And so a lot of times when you're asked a question about, you know, you know, he has he has given his statutes under Israel. And and basically when they read that Psalm passage and talking about he's given his statute under Israel, he's only Jesus only going to the 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 uh, the uh to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the question is how do you answer that question? if you have a biblical theology of the people of God that's bigger than understand Israel was one of the groups of the people of God. The largest the largest segment of scripture is dedicated to that. But you being able to answer the question, no, God from the beginning wanted all people globally to represent him. That's why you see that in Genesis three. You see it in, you know, I mean, Genesis two, I mean, Genesis one. You see that in uh, 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 Genesis chapter 10. You see that in Genesis chapter 12. You see the Israel's purpose is in, you know, Exodus uh, 19, six. And you go all the way to Revelation seven. You know, you go all the way to Revelation 19. And so you begin saying, man, let's do the meta narrative. What's the meta narrative of God? That's a covenant that you're like Israel's purpose wasn't to just minister to Israel and then have these levels of the people of God within the framework of the great congregation. But everybody said the last will be first and first will be last. And so, it, I mean, it's, it's so even if you're talking about that, if you're talking about the use of the law, a lot of times, that's why I have a section in here in, in the book on Hebrew Israelites. I mean, in, in a chapter on Hebrew Israelites about the the use of um, the use of the law, because a lot of Christians, a lot of us, you know, we we've been taught kind of in Sunday school class, you know, that the Old Testament was law and the New Testament was grace. Well, there's grace when you've done a segment on this, I believe there's there's grace in the Old Testament and there's 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 wrath in the New Testament. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. you see wrath with Ananias and Sapphira, but you see grace when David should have he had three counts of death on his life uh because of what he did but god forgave his sin and so a lot of times we don't know the relationship between the law and the fact that there's 613 laws of moses but there's 100 and there's 1050 uh uh um laws of christ and how do they relate the, the law continuity discontinuity i can go on and on and on the whole sabbath controversy you know the eating you know eating fringes like if you understand kind of like the fundamentals of christianity um, there are ways in which when you're asked questions, 
The Holy Spirit will guide your mind. That's why he leads you in the truth. He will kind of guide your mind in some things and help you to put together, oh, no, that's you're not seeing the scripture properly. You know, even them using Isaiah passage, you know, uh, what, 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 uh, the passage about, uh, and we misuse that passage. That's a passage on judgment, you know, precept, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept. That that's not a that's not a lesson on hermeneutics. That's actually a judgment uh, for uh, uh, the nation of Ephraim. Ephraim, and so I can go on and on and on. But the, the um, you know, starting with engaging Hebrew Israelites first off is not starting with what they believe versus what you believe. It's learning what you believe over time, and so that you can be able to have a broader view of the Christian faith. Because a lot of people, and this is not just for engaging Hebrew Israelites, a lot of people. Uh, 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 study the faith through apologetics versus doing apologetics from their faith. And when mm -hmm. I say from their faith, I'm talking about from the from the truth of being a disciple in the faith. And your apologetics flows from. Many people are they don't they don't do well at defending their faith because playing. It's like it's like this. I'll give you an example. So when I started seminary um, and I was taking Greek, Greek was extremely hard, and it was harder than it needed to be, because um, I didn't know the English language. And so the way they talked about the multiplicity of past tense, aorist, pluperfect, all those different things, I didn't know mm -hmm. what in the world to do because I had to, in order to do Greek class well, I had to go back to English grammar school and really understand the English language so that I can either understand how to translate. By the time I got to Hebrew, I had a better mastery of the English language and Hebrew was actually easier for me than Greek. Not because the languages are easier than one another, but because, um, but because I knew the uh, knew the fundamentals of l l my personal linguistic language better so that mm -hmm. I can access other languages better. It's the same way with learning the faith. And so that that's that's one thing I would say that's a huge piece of engaging Hebrew Israelites. Another thing with engaging Hebrew Israelites is keeping them on topic. It, it, like that's one of the that's that's like like keeping them no 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 let's we'll go to that but let's go back to this let's don't run to that passage let's stay in this passage and let's work in this passage so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that is i mean you could be here there and everywhere with them for hours <laughs> if you don't keep them <laughs> keep keep them on task and uh i love that you shared the part about kind of knowing how the old testament fits in the new because I think that's where most Christians, I see them struggle. Like how to interpret yeah. the Old Testament in light of the new, especially when you've been using um, yeah. promises in uh, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 and as as your kind of name it and claim it passages. Um, and then when Hebrew Israelites come, then you're like, how does, it, then you're confused. Um, so how does the, those are definitely important. What do you want you um, your readers to take take from from this book, you've already shared some things, but there's anything else you want uh, your readers to take take away from it. Yeah, big thing I wanted to take away from the book is I I don't care what anybody say. I say this with uh, hopefully a level of a great level of humility, but the Church of America has to turn its missiological ship towards the needs of African Americans in a way like we've never before. And this book hopefully will inspire a lot of that because I don't really, I don't think people know how generationally traumatized African Americans are. Because I believe if we would love African Americans, like the Bible says, let us in Titus three fourteen, let us learn to meet pressing needs in order that we may not be found unfruitful. Um, 
and that flows out of the gospel if you read verses one through 13. Well, really one through, if you read verses one, uh, verses one through about the eighth verse of chapter three uh, in Titus, uh, it flows from regeneration. And so we really need to take our, we, we really, uh, from the black church to the white church to the multi-ethnic church, um, there really needs to be a concerted effort to say, what can we do uh, to, to, to invest in the dignity restoration of African-Americans? I think it's extremely, extremely important. And so that's what I want people to get away from the book. I want, I want but, but, but I, I would say another thing, I want a generation of young black people to be absolutely unadulteratedly sold out and committed to Jesus Christ, knowing they have the truth and being willing to be an indigenous missionary to their own people. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I love that. I, I definitely want to see, see that um, happen. And um, I'm encouraged by this. And also I'm just encouraged by the number of people that have been developing a passion for apologetics through uh, your work mm -hmm. through other apologet apologists and through Jude 3, it seems like it has ignited a passion in young Black people to study um, the Word of God. And so that is encouraging to me. I know it's encouraging to you and others that are, are in this work uh, to see the fruit, because I know there's a lot of negativity that comes from people that just misunderstand what we're trying to do. Um, Absolutely. Like, I'm not telling, I'm not sending people to the left. Um, people on the left don't even affirm what we're saying. Um, so, Absolutely. <laughs> so what are you even talking about? I'm more connected to your beliefs than you even realize. But um, so it's good to, in all of that criticism to see the uprising of people. Is there anything else that you want to share about the book that we, we haven't already discussed? You know, I think we, encourage you and what you're doing um you know in all that ju3 is doing i oh I, I can't tell you how many times i've recommended ju3 since it started since i heard about it and all the work you're doing literally um even as I, I don't know if you get to scour facebook every now and then with the skirmishes that african-americans get into with other people groups or other ideologies but like you said the work of apologetics from a lot this this apologetics movement whether people want to use the word urban or not i, I mean whatever but <laughs> um you know they're literally like i like we've god has used this movement to make the conscious community literally change how it asks us questions like i don't know if people even realize that um like uh they don't even ask they don't i, I don't I, I hear lower like people that are influenced by the conscious community say the christianity is a white man's religion mm -hmm. i don't even hear them i don't even hear the big wigs say that anymore like mm -hmm. because we the, the the movement has so demolished that um we i remember they were saying that um the, the another like i got a list of the history i don't know if i put it in here but there's a history of the argumentation shifts that mm -hmm. the apologetics were of urban apologists and apologists, black apologists have done to shift, make them shift their questions. Like another one that was that Jesus never existed. That was like, you know, like that was like a big thing. And like mm -hmm. apologists got after that. They had to, and they, they got shut down. They had to change their question. So Christianity was, um, what do they say? Uh, Christianity wasn't orthodox in the beginning. Orthodoxy was mm -hmm. instituted by Constantine. Another one was, Christianity was created at the, at the Council of Nicaea. Apologists went in and destroyed that. I mean, Christianity is a 
people went in and so I can go on and on and on. I don't want to keep it going, but I'm just saying kudos to your work and how you have been a pioneer in this movement and working on this stuff, sister. Thank you. I, I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, and uh, we're all working collectively together um, to see <laughs> those <laughs> inroads that, I mean, sometimes it looks like it's not having an effect when you see people yelling about random stuff. You're like, we already covered that. Um, <laughs> 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 to hear you talk about this mm -hmm. change, change in arguments, I think it's even more encouraging to know that they're actually, they, it's funny because I feel like they listen to the content of everybody more than probably Christians do sometimes. Uh, they do. To, they do. Yeah. It's like they're wrestling within themselves around truth. And so it's kind of like, I got to keep debunking this or I have to submit to it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's having inroads. Um, for those who want to get, get the book Urban Apologetics, and I encourage all of our audience to get it. Uh, where can they get the book? Everywhere. Everywhere books are sold. Whether it was Amazon, it's Zondervan, Walmart, Target, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. And how yeah. can people get in contact with you on social media? Yeah, I'm past the email. So on Instagram and uh, Twitter and on Facebook, I'm Dr. Eric Mason. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm not I don't do Snapchat and Twitch and and uh, what's the other one? TikTok. I don't I don't do those, but those are the ones I'm on. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. I, we created a Snapchat, and I was just like, I I unless I get an intern to do it, or and we created <laughs> right. TikTok, and I was just like, this is overwhelming. I feel old. Um, <laughs> so yeah. maybe maybe we'll be able to get on those at a later date. But thank you so much Absolutely. for your time. I greatly appreciate it and your contributions um, to. Uh, the movement and also being a guest on the podcast. Thank you all for watching another episode of the G3 Project podcast. Remember, um, you can check all, all our other podcasts at g3project.org. Subscribe wherever podcasts are streamed. You can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color or take our online course. And remember here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe. Grace and peace. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to g3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.